Good morning, Fairfax Church. How's everybody doing today? All right, praise God. I want to say thank you to Kayla and the worship team. You guys do such a wonderful job. Praise God for you as well. Yeah. For those that don't know me, my name is Dennis Stotts. I'm with our advisory council here at Fairfax Church, and I've had the honor of uh, serving here uh, for over 20 years, uh, 15 years on advisory council. But me and my wife, Kathy, and our family have been uh, members of the church for 20 years. And, uh, you know, I've been in the children's ministry and on the prayer team and uh, in various aspects of service within the church. I love this place, uh, and I love you guys. And today, my role of service will really be just in praying, praying for you, uh, praying for Rod, our senior pastor, um, as he faces the challenges that he presented to you guys last week, and um, just praying for our church and our our ministry that God has given us. There's a lot that we have to be thankful for, a lot of things that we can give praise to God for, and there's also some challenges that we face that we can uh, bring requests to him for. And so I'd like to just be able to lead us in prayer today and uh, just take a moment to do so. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for just being ever-present in our lives. And so, Father, today, as we enter your gates with thanksgiving in our hearts and enter your courts with praise on our lips, Father, we thank you so much for all of the evidence of the good work that you're doing through our church here at Fairfax Church, uh, through all of our global connections, um, all of our uh, church body that resides here in Fairfax, but also in other uh, church plants throughout the world and throughout uh, the, D the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Father, I just want to thank you so much for mobilizing this congregation, for ministry like you do, being able to connect us in one accord under the lordship of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who by only way we have access to you uh, to even uh, commune with you and be in relationship with you. Father, we thank you so much for all of the evidence of uh, work that's being done through your ministry uh, of this church, all the folks that are being helped, and all of the aspects of how your kingdom is being ushered in to this earth in Fairfax as it is in heaven. Father, I want to thank you so much for our wonderful staff, our staff that's able to accept the challenges that we face um, and be able to lead us in uh, the ministry work that's being done uh, by Fairfax Church, that's be able to make up the hedge of anything that uh, takes place as we really cover for uh, any gaps that may come into play when they happen from time to time. Father, so we're thankful for these things, but I'm also thankful for our senior pastor, Rod Stafford, 
Thank you for the vision that you've given him. Uh, thank you for the leadership that he provides. Thank you for the wonderful communication skills that you blessed him with. And thank you for having, having him have a heart for you that really has really blessed this place. So, Father, we, we lift up all these thanksgiving and praises, but we also have requests that we come to you to, with today, right? Some of the requests that we have really involve the reality of life as we sojourn through this earth, right, that we all face, right? It's not lost on the fact that we are still in the midst of a global pandemic that's really not over yet, right? And that we still see your hand at work through all that's going on here, but we know that many people are facing challenges today that need your healing hand, right, to be able to intervene into their lives, to be able to heal their bodies physically, emotionally, and mentally. Father, all of the different things that people face in life, because we do live in a broken, sinful world, we just pray that you enter into their lives. Bring a healing touch to their lives. Be with them ever-present as they face these challenges day to day. Raising families, uh, being able to shepherd their children, being able to go through schools that uh, are facing challenges these days. So, Father, we thank you for uh, hearing and answering our prayer. We thank you for hearing and answering the prayer for healing for our senior pastor, Rod Stafford. We pray that uh, the efficacy of all the treatments that he's going through uh, be very effective. We thank you for the wonderful um, team of physicians that are you know, working on his condition and, and supporting him through this uh, difficult process, right? Father, I thank you so much for just watching over him, keeping him in your care, watching over Donna and the family, allowing him to be strong and resilient, stay in your joy with a peace that surpasses all understanding as he endures these challenges. And Father, I just pray for a speedy recovery that he can come back to us and stay with us uh, throughout this whole trial that he is experiencing. Father, we lift up these prayers to you in the precious name of Jesus. The, the word that, your word that became flesh and made his dwelling among us, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, who gives us access to your throne room, we pray that in his name today. Amen. Fairfax, just a few announcements for you all. First up, baptisms are next weekend, and we are so excited about this. If you haven't been around for baptisms at Fairfax, they are so special. To be able to see our church family be raised to life in Christ is just an awesome moment. We would love to have you participate in this so you can register on our website. 
So if you haven't looked at our Love Your Neighbor projects on Vomo recently, you need to check them out. We've added some great new opportunities. One specifically that I want to highlight for you is a special Valentine dinner that we are hosting for our Capernaum friends. We need help cooking some amazing food and serving um, dinner to these special friends. So if you can help, go to the Vomo app and sign up, or you can go to our local outreach page and find it on there. Also, February 13th is gonna be a very special Sunday. Not because it's the Super Bowl, but because we're gonna have a very special guest worship leader with us here from Vertical Worship, Judd Harris. So you will not wanna miss that Sunday before the big game. Grab a friend and be here. As a reminder, our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course is launching next month in February. We are so excited about this course and registrations have just opened, so go ahead and check it out on our website. If you're wondering who this course is for, it's for everyone, regardless of what stage of life you're in or where you are in your relationship with Christ. You can check out this video for more information. The church is in deep trouble today. It's like we're sitting on top of an iceberg that's melting, but we're reluctant to make the changes that are needed. We can be in our 30s and 40s, even 70s and 80s, physically, and yet be emotionally a teenager. It's a truth about the Christian life that at one point or another, you will hit a wall. By a wall, I'm referring to a season in your life when you will feel stuck. God invites us to be our unique selves before Him, to know who we are, not pretend to be somebody else. You see, God wants to communicate to us His true sweetness and love. He, he longs for us that we might know His true peace and rest. But to get there, however, false layers and unhealthy attachments inside of us must be burned away. So let me invite you to consider taking the EHS journey, and we will build a church that will transform not only our generation, but the generations that will follow. Good morning, Fairfax. Good to see you all here this morning, and welcome to everyone that's watching us online and everybody out in the great room and those over in the hangar watching this morning. We are so glad that you are all here. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Kyle, and I have one simple task this morning, and that is to um, introduce our guest speaker. You got to hear um, a little bit from Dennis this morning and to have him lead us in an amazing um, an important prayer. And then this, uh, in just a minute here, you're going to get to meet Jake Zasky. Jake um, is also part um, of our advisory council. He's been there for a couple of years. Great friend of Rod and a great friend of Fairfax. And he's going to be bringing our message this morning. So will you show a warm Fairfax welcome to Jake Zasky? Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Rod has always brought together great leaders, and it's been said a lot over the last couple of weeks about the impact that he's had literally around the world, and I see my relationship with Rod as a two-way street. In, in many ways, I have the privilege of serving here as part of the advisory council, been journeying with you. As Matt said last week, it's like we're at a big family reunion, and I'm the crazy cousin. And so I hope you'll accept the crazy cousin. We've all got a crazy cousin, and that's us. But to be able to lead congregations in other contexts and still come in and be part of this family feels like home away from home. And so thank you for making this easy. Rod brings together everybody. I mean, Kyle is a Bengals fan, and I lead a church in Kansas City. And so if there was ever a sign that, that Rod has the ability to bring together people from all different tribes, tongues, even at war with one another today, um, he's done it on this stage. 
There is a big game going on today, and uh, we're pretty excited in Kansas City. I, I lead a church called Hope Chapel in Kansas City. We're in a few locations across the city. Previous to that, I lived in New York City for about a decade planting churches, and gosh, it's just a privilege and joy to be with you today. Now, I don't normally preach in a hoodie, uh, even though a hoodie in the Midwest is considered formal wear. Um, but this is a little bit different. This, this hoodie says Y-N-W-A, and the Nike swoosh, I'm sure you're familiar with. And if you're a soccer fan in the room, then you're probably ahead of everybody in what this actually means. But for all of us, I think there is deep symbolism and importance in what's on this sweatshirt. You see, this sweatshirt, this logo, if you will, goes all the way back to 1945. Rodgers and Hammerstein had written a musical called Carousel. And in that, in that musical is a song called You'll Never Walk Alone. And that musical is picked up, of course, it becomes really popular. Frank Sinatra keys in on the song, turns it into a single. And then in 1945, this song is written. And then in 1963, Jerry and the Pacemakers, a British band, adopts the song as well and does a cover of it. Now I'm gonna tell you, some of you are thinking, that's a really nice story, but Nike doesn't make sweatshirts out of carousel songs. Well, that's because that song gets pumped into one of the largest stadiums in England, Liverpool Football Club, a stadium called Anfield, which is worldwide famous and becomes the anthem of one of Europe's largest soccer teams. You'll never walk alone. And then four years later, Celtic Football Club, which is the largest football club in Scotland, either that or Rangers, but it's the largest football club in Scotland, adopts the same song. And then in the 90s, Borussia Dortmund, one of the largest soccer clubs in Germany, adopts the same song. So you may be wondering, well, why do I know so much about this song, You'll Never Walk Alone? Maybe it's because I ministered in the northwest of England, and I used to live 15 miles away from this stadium, and got so encaptured and engrossed in this idea, I began to follow Liverpool around as an away supporter. And, and here's how they start each game. They, they get up and they get their scarves over their heads, and there are tens of thousands of people singing, you'll never walk alone. Here, here are the lyrics to this song. It says, when you walk through the storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of the storm, there's a golden sky and the sweet silver song of the lark. Walk on through the wind, walk on through the rain, that your dreams be tossed and blown. Walk on, walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone. No, you'll never walk alone. And at the beginning of each match, they sing this song, and then it's just the fans continuing on, chanting it throughout the game. And at the end of every win, right at the very death of the match, they begin chanting it once again. There are what are called the Shankly Gates, one of their uh, main managers, their, their most famous managers, and the Shankly Gates have the banner, you'll never walk alone. This club is built on the idea that we are all together. Now, what has captured the hearts of musical fans? What has captured the hearts of tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions, of soccer fans around the world? This idea that you'll never walk alone. What is so potent about it that engrosses even your imagination? I think it's very simple. Nobody wants to walk alone. Nobody wants to walk alone. I want you to think about it. I want you to think about some of your deepest, darkest fears, the isolation and abandonment that comes because nobody wants to walk through their storms alone. Nobody wants to walk alone without being loved 
or loving. Nobody wants to know that they're going into battle alone. We want those William Wallace moments where we look behind us and there are other people going into battle fighting for us and we for them. The psychologist Kurt Thompson says it this way. He says, the brain is made most anxious, not merely by the presence of a difficult thing or a frightening situation, but the condition that we ultimately fear the most is that of being abandoned. The fear that you and I Fear the most is that of being abandoned. And that may play itself out in a number of different ways. Maybe somebody left you a long time ago. Maybe it feels like you're alone today. Don't get me wrong, there are all moments where we feel like we wanna be alone. I have kids too. We all wanna be alone at some point. And, And then there are other times where we just feel alone. Have you ever felt alone in the crowd? You walk into a room that doesn't feel like a home away from home. Maybe you're the new employee or the new student at school. Maybe you're somebody moving fresh to a community, parachuting in from somewhere else, and you just feel overwhelmed and you just feel abandoned. This is our deepest fear, and it's the deepest fear that we have even in our spiritual lives. The idea that God may reject us one day. The idea that we may not have anything on this other side of eternity. The fear that that maybe our community will reject us and we'll be left out in the cold. Every one of us fears abandonment, which is why the concept that you'll never walk alone is so potent to the human race. It's not just a spiritual response, it's a biological response. And so what do you do when you feel abandoned? What do you do when it feels like God isn't listening? What do you do when it feels like others aren't listening? What do you do when it feels like you're left to walk alone? Well, the scriptures tell us this. God's response to that in Deuteronomy 31 and Hebrews 13 is he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the promise that God gives to us, and yet we often find ourselves in difficult places of knowing how to experience that. It's really nice on paper, it sounds really good, but it's not always what we feel, is it? I mean, I want you to think about it for a moment. So many of us find it difficult to build friendships once we leave school. The longer we go through life, we start thinking to ourselves, what use is it anyway? Some of us have felt like we've prayed and God should have been there and we prayed to walls. It felt more like we were praying to walls than we were praying to God. Over the last couple of weeks, though, we believe so much in this concept of reaching out and not living isolated lives that we continually preach this thematically, whether we realize it or not. Think about it. Over the last couple of weeks, Josh was up here two weeks ago, and what did he preach about? Community. That wasn't a quiz. Don't worry. (laughs) He preached about community. What is community but nothing more than reminding us that we do not have to walk alone in this life? And last week, Matt got up here and what did he preach about? Prayer. Prayer is nothing more than being reminded that you never walk alone in relationship with God, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, it's readily accessible that we don't have to live in isolation. We can conquer our greatest fears. You know, I've met people in their 80s and I've performed wedding ceremonies for those advanced years and, and sometimes their kids will say, I'm just glad they found somebody, a companion. Somebody that they don't have to walk alone. 
without. They, they, they've got somebody with them. Well, I wanna lead you this morning to one of the most famous stories of felt abandonment, and it's found in Luke chapter 24. If you have your Bible today, why don't you open up to Luke chapter 24? In fact, there are Bibles in between each one of the seats, I noticed, and so you can go ahead and grab one of those, and we're gonna read Luke 24 together. This is an important story, and it's not just an important story because it's felt abandonment, but it's important to us today because it's one of the most important stories that Luke talks about in his gospel. Luke, of course, is one of the four gospel or one of the four accounts of the life of Jesus. And what we read in Luke chapter 24, beyond the women going to the tomb, is this very fascinating story that we now refer to as the road to Emmaus. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 16, starts like this. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, there's a couple of things that I want you to pick up immediately about this story. Number one, there are only three stories that Luke tells post-resurrection. Now, we know from books like 1 Corinthians that there were several appearances that Jesus made to groups of people and to individuals between the time of his resurrection and the time of his ascension. But for some reason, Luke only documents three of them in his gospel. The women going to the tomb, we talk about that almost every Easter. This story, which happens on the same day, but in the afternoon. And then Jesus appearing to the disciples. Now I gotta tell you, that intuitively, 2,000 years later, I, I can understand why he would talk about the women at the tomb, right? This is the big scene, the stone rolled away, and the angel saying, he is not here, he is risen. And, and I can understand why he would talk about the disciples. These are the people that were closest to him, that journeyed with him. But this one, two travelers making a seven-mile journey away from Jerusalem back to a place called Emmaus, according to the scriptures, is a peculiar story, don't you think? And yet, for some reason, I think Luke wanted us to pick something up from this story that is relevant to each and every one of us and tells us something about the heart of God. Now, these travelers are confused, and we know that they're disappointed. They're in a discussion, and when you translate that into the Greek, it actually kind of gives tones that they're in an argument. It's kind of like this. It's like you can have a discussion, or you can look at your kids and say, your mother and I are having a discussion. And you know there are two types of discussions. There's we're having a discussion, and your mother and I are having a discussion. This is the your mother and I are having a discussion sort of conversation. And it's, it's them looking at one another and almost arguing over the events of the previous week. Remember, these are guys who came into town to Jerusalem because they knew Jesus was coming into town. And on what we now refer to as Holy Week, they didn't know it was Holy Week, they saw him turn the tables, they saw him celebrated, and then they saw him beaten, flogged, and crucified. And then he goes to the tomb, and a couple of days have passed, and they're waiting for something to happen. They even hear the report of the women, the women who don't have the sort of testimony that women have today. They were seen as second-class citizens, not reliable at that time. And they say, hey, we went to the tomb and his body is gone. We haven't found him yet. 
And so they're going back and they're going, this doesn't make any sense and I don't understand what's going on. They're confused over the situation and they're arguing over it. Now, here's why this is important because this is so much what we do, isn't it? We are storytellers. We tell ourselves stories all day long true and what is not true from our perspective. We may even say the line to somebody else in our lives, I don't even know if it's true, but it's my lived reality. It's, it's what I've experienced. And our experience becomes true. You may have heard the line before, words make worlds. Words make worlds. And we tell ourselves mistruths all the time. We say things like, man, it's all my spouse's fault. We say, man, my friends always let me down. We, we make statements about how our job will never be fulfilling. And these sort of things begin to form and cloud our judgment. And so Jesus comes walking alongside of them. They don't know it's him. The Bible says they're kept from knowing that it's him. And as he begins to walk alongside of them, he's asking questions. So what happened, guys? What went on in Jerusalem this last week? And he's like, do you not know? In other words, everybody knows what went on. Do you not know? And as he's discussing all of this with them, he's helping them to understand they've missed the bigger picture. Just like we do all the time. We tell ourselves stories about things and, and that makes our world up and we begin to see the world through the lens of what we tell ourselves and what others tell us and what we begin to believe, whether it's true or not. We get into arguments over what is true and what is not with one another. And then, as they say, hindsight is always 2020. We look back over the last several months or years or, or even 100 years or 500 years later and then begin to make sense of what we couldn't see because we lack perspective. And Jesus is saying, this is the problem you've got. You lack perspective. You think you understand what's going on here, but you don't understand what's going on here. In Luke 24, 25, he says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? There are people all over this city, all over the D.C. area, all over Kansas City that have made up a story about who God is and they're deeply disappointed. They've lacked perspective, but their perspective is their lived reality. They've made determinations about what God can do and what God cannot do. They're disappointed and confused. They lack understanding. And maybe they love God, but they just, they just don't see it yet. Now, here's what strikes me about this story. And this is what we're gonna hang our hat on here this morning. What strikes me about this story is that the travelers feel abandoned, but they are not abandoned. What strikes me about this story is that they feel abandoned, but they are not abandoned. Have you ever felt abandoned before? Doesn't mean you were, but have you felt that before? One of my earliest memories, I'm six years old and I'm in a mall in the 80s. Anybody go to a mall in the 80s? Some of you are thinking, man, you're really old. I was talking to Kayla earlier and I said, you know, I got this photo in a scrapbook. She goes, scrapbook? Who uses it? Yeah, that's right. I'm scrapbook old. And, uh, I'm in a mall in the 80s, I'm an 80s kid, and one of my earliest memories, I'm probably six at the time, and uh, I, I remember that we went into the mall, this is like pre-food court at my mall, it took us a little longer, 
But there was always a big clock, wasn't there, in the middle of the mall? I haven't been to a mall in years, can you tell? There's always a big clock in the middle with an information desk. And the restaurant we were eating at was just off the center. That's where they put Santa and the Easter Bunny and all that. And there's a big table of us. I think it was a a, a family birthday because my cousins were there, but I don't remember really why. But what I do remember is that we finished that lunch, we walked out into the middle, and I turned around and my family was gone. And that rush of abandonment, the rush of fear is so palpable, I feel my spine tingling as I'm on stage with you years, decades later. And what felt like hours and hours and hours as a little six-year-old kid in the mall in the middle of this very busy center was probably just 30 seconds. But I found my way to the information desk and I'm trying to stutter the words out. Do you, do you know where my mom is? And just as I'm getting the words out and the lady's going, what? I feel this hand on my shoulder. I turn around and she's right there. My mom is right there. And the wave and the rush of love and acceptance washes over me. You know, I was never abandoned, but I felt abandoned. My reality in that moment was so much stronger because of the emotion that rushed over me. We all go through this. My, my wife has been in the mental health field at times, and she, uh, she says to me, she goes, Jake, just remember that almost everybody who walks in has a lesser view of themselves than a greater view of themselves. We all have the inner voice that's strong. So what do you do? Not that you are abandoned, but what do you do when you feel abandoned? When you feel like you're walking alone? I want you to do three simple things. Number one, I want you to remember God provides what you need. God provides what, now that may seem simple to you, but I want you to understand why this is so profound. The travelers at that time wanted Jesus to rescue them from the Roman Empire. They thought Jesus needed to deliver them from the Roman Empire. Here's here's what often happens. People come to God asking for more money, or they ask for a, a spouse or a relationship or a better job. We come with our circumstances. They came to God with their circumstances. They said, God, we want you to rescue us from the Roman Empire. But what almost always happens, and maybe it happened in your life as well, is you came to God with your circumstance. And God said, I'm not going to deliver you from your circumstance first. I'm gonna deliver you from the real enemy. And that's yourself. I'm gonna transform you from the inside out. See, they're saying we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And Jesus is saying, I did redeem Israel because the greatest enemy was self that kept you from entering into relationship with me. It was your own sin. It was your own pride. It was your own arrogance that needed to be rectified before I dealt with any circumstance in your life. The greatest inheritance and the greatest joy starts from within, not from the outer circumstances that you face. He's saying, I want you to understand that you may come to me with what you think you need, but I'm gonna give you what you need. I'm gonna provide for you, not just new set of circumstances and a new deck of cards to look at, but I'm going to transform you from the inside out. And that transformation is gonna be something the world can never take from you. It's gonna be something that reminds you, you will never walk alone. 
The deepest fear of your soul will only be quenched when you recognize that a surrendered heart allows God to get into the core of who you are and transform you to face anything that you walk through, the mountaintops and the valleys. This is the promise of God. The second thing I want you to recognize is I want you to recognize that God is always working in the mundane. You may be looking for God today to work a miracle in your situation, the high points, the the celebratory points, but I want you to understand that as much as you long for the supernatural and imagine that that's only the place that God is working, God is almost always working in the mundane, the places that you may skip over real quick. And if you think you're the first one to miss God in those moments, then all you have to do is look at the Bible because the Jews were looking for Jesus to do signs and wonders. They said, I just want you to do another sign, another wonder. Do that like 5,000 bread thing again. Like that was amazing. Do those signs and wonders and allow us to feel like you're really there. God, unless you do this miraculous thing, are you really there? Maybe the cry of your heart. And yet God's like, I've been working in your life, whether you realize it or not. Do you remember when you were pumping gas on Tuesday? Do you remember when you were on that phone call with your mom on Friday? Do you remember when you were doing life and skipping through it, hoping for the miraculous signs and wonders, and yet I was providing your daily bread? God is working in the mundane. Sometimes we celebrate the mountaintops, we celebrate the miraculous without recognizing some of the most life transformational moments are not attractive, exuberant, over the top. The author John Ortberg says, spiritual growth, in a sense, is simply increasing our capacity to experience the presence of God. In other words, God is not working more. We just become aware of what he's already doing. Is it possible today that your prayer, God, would you go to work, is less important than God help me to see where you're at work? Is it possible that God has been at work providing your daily bread each and every day and that it's just about the awareness that it takes for you to recognize him in the mundane? The final thing I want you to do if you feel abandoned today is perhaps the most important of all of them I want you to remember that God's truth will illuminate his love. God's truth will illuminate his love. I've already said we're all prone to believe lies and mistruths. The lies that we tell ourselves form the world that we live in. But this happens all the time. I got a teenage son, and just this last week, he looked at me and he said, Dad, I'm not smart, I'm dumb. This kid has A's in every class but one. But where do you think his mind went to? The one. And so as a parent, because this is what parents often do, you look at him and you go, you're not dumb. You're smart. Now, I don't have to lie to my kid because he is smart. But I'm looking at him trying to tell him the truth because the narrative that he's building in his mind, the mistruth that he's telling himself is easily gonna form the world that he's gonna live in. And so I get in his life, and what do I do? I tell him the truth. Let me tell you, the reason why people walk around this community thinking God doesn't love them is because they don't understand the truth of God. 
The reason why these travelers did not believe that God loved them is because they didn't understand the truth of the gospel. They didn't understand what Jesus was trying to do. And when they began to understand the truth, when they sat with Jesus and he explained the scriptures to them, they went, oh, now I get it. Now I understand. And then they could see the love of God. You cannot experience and see the love of God on display if you don't understand the truth of God. But when you understand the truth, his love becomes revealed. John Stott, the great pastor and preacher in England of the 20th century said, our love grows soft if not strengthened by truth, and our truth grows hard if not softened by love. We constantly need love and truth. Love allows people to receive the truth and truth allows people to see the love. Love and truth. And when you understand the truth of God, then you begin to understand the love of God and the love of God compels you to search for deeper truth. And it's this beautiful marriage of love and truth, love and truth that allows you to be reminded, not only are you not abandoned, but you are loved. You are loved. Maybe nobody's told that to you this week. You've gone through life, told, been told, you didn't hit this deadline, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, you failed this test. You walk into church this morning, I want you to hear one thing today. You are loved. You're loved. You're loved wherever you're watching us online today. You are loved. God says, it's my truth given to you that I will never leave you nor abandon you, that I am with you from the beginning to the end. And so what do you do? In moments where you feel abandoned, where you feel disappointed, you tell yourself the truth. You tell yourself the truth because when you begin to tell yourself the truth, you build a new narrative where you begin to see the love of God on display. So I wanna get you primed for this week. I wanna get you started around this concept of experiencing the love of God. Here's, here's what I want you to do. I'm, I'm gonna tell you 10 truths bathed in scripture through the narrative arc. I'm not gonna give you scripture verses and all of that. We're not gonna dig into all that because uh, Rod said I only got so much time. But I am gonna give you 10 truths as a primer, as a start today, as you walk out these doors, remembering you are never walking alone and reminding you that not only are you not abandoned, but you are loved and you are loved deeply. Number one, God wants to speak to you in your own unique way. I want you to remember that, that God used a burning bush for Moses and he'll use something different for you. Number two, God is always there, regardless of if you recognize him. God hasn't changed, he hasn't gone away, he's still as present and ready for you to reach out as the moment that you felt closest to him. Number three, every part of your life matters to God, every part. He loves the details, he loves to celebrate, we see through the person of Jesus, he celebrates with us, he mourns with us, he's with us in every situation. Number four, trying too hard to pray or meet God doesn't help. You can't twist God's arm up his back. As much as the travelers wanted God to do it their way, he was doing it his way. And this is the beauty of being reminded who's in charge. Number five, every thought moves me a little closer or a little further away from God. Every thought. 
We're called to take every thought captive. Your thoughts are impacting your faith, they're impacting your world. Number six, when I give into temptation, I lose my sense of God's presence. Maybe today the reason you don't recognize God's presence is because of some habitual sin that you keep going to the well on that's making it impossible for you to see the hand of God. The Bible says we can still read it, but we're often kept from the truth because of our hypocrisy that flows out of us. That's real easy, just come to God and surrender. Number seven, remember this. If I stumble, I can get back up and try again. If I stumble, I can get back up. God's grace is sufficient for you. I don't care what you did this last week. You come to God, you surrender it, and you move on. You get back up. Number eight, when God feels far away, it's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to remember your moments in life that were most difficult are also part of the reason why you are who you are. They're the things that were most formational in you. So when God feels far away, remember, these are the places and the times for you to build up a resiliency and a discipline and be formed into something bigger and greater. Number nine, there will always be doubters and critics of your relationship with God, always. And number 10, you need to meet with God every day. Remember, he supplies your daily bread. You don't eat for weeks once. This is not Thanksgiving binging. This is daily bread. You come to him every single day. The average chapter in the Bible takes four and a half minutes to read. And so as much as we're all busy people, if you can't find four and a half minutes to connect with God, you just don't want to. We all have time for that. Look at how the story concludes in chapter 24, verses 28 through 33. It says, as they approached the village to where they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly. They said, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. So Jesus sits down with them, opens up the scriptures. Their eyes are open. They see who he is, and then he disappears. And their response, were our hearts not burning within us? That's what I found on a personal level is often the sign that God's been most at work in my life. And sometimes it happens after the fact where I walk away and go, was my heart not burning within me? You know what it's like when somebody tells you a truth and you go, ah, oh. but on a deeper, even more spiritual level, there is a burning that happens on the inside of us where we go, yes, that, that's it. It's, it's like a connection to the core of who we are and we may not fully understand all that it means, but it is undeniable within. And it is often the truth of God matching the love of God transferring into our heart and into our soul that removes the cognitive and just speaks to our humanity. And maybe that's you today. Is it possible? Is it possible that you met Jesus and you didn't know it? 
Is it possible that you walked away from a situation where someone was kind or where somebody walked alongside of you and reminded you you're not alone and you walked away and you went, was my heart not burning within me in that moment? Here's what I know today. I know that for some of us, we've walked in here for the first time this morning or watching online for the first time this morning. Some of us have been in this church for a number of months or a number of years. And we've never come to that point of true surrender. We've been asking God to fix our marriage and to fix our job and to fix our bank account and all the things that we want him to fix. And what he really wants to do is start with us. To come to that point of surrender and to say, maybe today is the day that I need to give up the leadership of my life and let God run this thing. Maybe today's the day that I need to come to the point of surrender, the end of myself. And maybe you've never been there before. Maybe you were there a number of years ago, but honestly, honestly, you're not there today. You're still trying to do your thing. God's the side dish. He's doing his thing. Sometimes you ask him for help, but he's, he's not the Lord of your life. Then today, I wanna give you words. Maybe you know how to pray a prayer of surrender. Maybe you know how to pray, God, would you forgive me? Would you set me free? You know how to do that. Maybe you don't. You know, several years ago, almost 20 years ago, I got married to my wife. And on that wedding day, I did not have the right words to say. They were like, do you wanna write your own vows? I was like, please, just feed them to me because I'll probably be too emotional. And so there was, a, there was a pastor there and he said things like, till death do you part. I said, till death do you part. I, I just, I didn't know how to get it out but I made a good confession on that day. And it started me in a new direction. It didn't change everything. Marriage is hard. Went through some stuff, some highs and some lows. But it did affirm the commitment in my heart that I wanted to make with my lips in a moment. And to say from this point forward, we are one. We are married. We are committed to one another. And for you, if you've never done that before, I wanna say today's your day. Did your heart not burn within you? As we even talked about that. Today's your day. Today's your day. I'm gonna pray for us as a congregation. Then I'm gonna give you words that you can repeat to be able to make that good confession this morning. Our team then is gonna lead us in a time of response as we sing and worship together. Be reminded we are never alone. And we are more loved than we could ever imagine. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege that it is to be loved by you. Thank you that whatever we face, we never walk alone. You are with us. You made us for community. And we find joy in knowing that the truth really can set us free. And so help us this morning to rest in the confidence of all you provide. We love you. We love you and we're eternally grateful for you. This morning, if you're ready to, to come to that point of surrender, if you never have, or maybe it's time to re-surrender. Remember, if you fall down, you can get back up. Why don't you pray this after me today? Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. Please forgive me, Lord, for I've sinned. 
I surrender and ask that you would be the leader of my life. And I ask that you now lead me by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And we're proud of you. We celebrate with you. The goodness of God is there for all of us. Why don't we stand together as our team leads us?